This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Kennedy Lay, a physiotherapist, a student mentor, and founder director of the Communication Experience. Kennedy explains his observations of communication challenges during his time as a physio student and what he's doing about addressing those issues with the Communication Experience. We also explore why Kennedy has launched an allied health and sports medicine virtual conference called the Breakthrough Event and the importance of helping the profession better understand digital health tools such as telehealth. There are some great insights and guidance around video consultations versus telehealth and what the issues, challenges and risks are by using video tools like Zoom, along with guidance on adapting our communication skills from in-person communication to online communication. We also talk about cultural R&D. Hmm, what is it? How can healthcare practitioners and their teams innovate the way they do things clinically? And there are some humorous relationship benefits we talk about when activating family members to help support patients physically during telehealth. If you're a student or young practitioner providing physio, podiatry, osteo, chiro, exercise physiology, sports medicine, etc., or you're a manager of a young team and you're working through team development, individual development, recruitment, induction, and your ongoing learnings factoring in telehealth, you'll get a lot out of this discussion. Let's jump in. Hey, Kennedy, how are you doing today? Hi, Annie. Good, good. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Um, rather than me kind of introducing you any further, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, mate? Yeah. First of all, uh, thanks, Yanni, for having me on. This is, uh, I think, one of the first times I'm involved with a live streaming event. I kind of feel like uh, Carl Stepanovich on, uh, what's he on? <laughs> Channel 9? I have no idea, mate. <laughs> trying to avoid the mainstream TV. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for the introduction, Yanni. I'm a physio by trade. And I also run a side business called The Communication Experience. And it started off as helping new graduates in healthcare, so specifically physio, to transition from the university experience to the full-time working experience. And as we all know, in healthcare, communication skills and soft skills are, I would argue, just as important as clinical skills. So that's how it started. And I'm in the process of organising a conference, an online virtual conference, actually the the second instalment of the Breakthrough series. Last year was physical and because, I suppose, unfortunate or opportunistic time that COVID presents to us now, um, we've pivoted to an online conference. So a little bit about me, a bit of an entrepreneur at heart, um, but clinical physio by trade. Yeah, most definitely. And and look, we'll get to um, Breakthrough 2020 because I think it's a really great event, which is why I'm a big supporter and want to be a uh, part of that as well. I want to know a little bit more about you, Kennedy. Tell us a little bit more because, you know, what struck me when I was getting to know you is um, your passion for the profession. And secondly, your own personal observations of what it's been like for you moving through your student phase and then going into the profession and kind of the observations that you made on uh, what it was like for you and your peer group actually coming through the experience and how that kind of inspired you around the communication experience. You want to give us a little bit about the backstory, 
your university life going into the profession and um, kind of give us that background again? Absolutely. So I graduated from La Trobe Physio School three years ago. And I think generally in healthcare, the, the, the transition between university life to especially private practice physio is absolutely huge. And when I went straight from university to private practice physio, practicing in a clinic, I got hit like a truck because all university equipped me with was hospital-based knowledge. And it was all clinical skills. It was about, here's a knee, how do you treat this knee? But it actually doesn't talk about other aspects equal or more important than clinical skills, such as your communication skills to your patients or how to get your patient to adhere to your exercises or even just developing trust and rapport. And I'm not saying university does that really poor. I understand that there's only four years in that program, but I think there's a bit more that could be given to current university students to help them better prepare for private practice physio. And I suppose that's where my journey came from was when I came out from university, I was like, yep, I know most things. I can confidently treat a patient. But when you actually put a patient in front of you, it's a completely different story. Yeah, and you were, you were telling me as well that um, the type of things that you were observing is that um, uh, the pathway into practice wasn't necessarily always supported as somebody who's transitioning from being in the student phase and then moving into the profession phase. Tell me a little bit more about that side of it. I think in the healthcare industry, yes, we are somewhat supported, but I like to draw a comparison to, for example, the aviation industry. Um, Let's say a a group like Virgin or Qantas, they would have a cadetship program where you train for an amount of time between one, one year to a year and a half, and then you'll get all the ground theory knowledge, you'll get all the flying experience as comparable to your university degree, and then you would become a second officer or a first officer sitting on the right-hand side or sitting in the back controlling the plane. The captain actually makes those critical decisions. In healthcare, you know all these theories and suddenly you're put in the captain seat and you're supposed to make all these decisions. And of course, it's not life and death, but you are solely responsible for all the decisions, all the education and advice around the patient's life that you have to make. Healthcare industry is lacking the, you know, whether you want to call it a cadetship or a placement type, universities already do placements, but a bit more handheld, guided, exploratory, progressive program would be quite nice. That's what I like to see. I know that's been very strong in your own motivation where you've thought about and empathised with what that experience was like and that's kind of given you those uh, insights in terms of how you're mentoring students and young professionals in the uh, physio space at the moment. It's a good opportunity for you to get that out and actually talk about that because Mm. um, I'm not really aware of too many people that focus on that stage in the profession. You know, if it's not a great experience for uh, a young aspiring health professional that they might be more prone to exiting the industry. What's been your experience in that in that regard? We are quite prone to leaving the industry early. I think the industry average is around five to seven years, uh, which is not a lot considering how much study and how hard it is to get in um, from both a undergrad or a postgraduate qualification entry requirement point of view. I suppose to your question, 
is I think consolidating those skills early. So things like soft skills, communication, building trust and rapport with your patients give you another skill set to be able to treat those patients and deliver better outcomes quicker and more efficiently. I don't think it necessarily directly contributes to career longevity, but I think it definitely helps um, bring a different side to the treatment outcome in terms of um, delivering better treatment outcomes. And then hence, if you're delivering better treatment outcomes, then you're getting you're getting your patients back and in turn you're getting a higher job satisfaction while we're on that Yoni if I could just explore a bit more perhaps about why the physio profession has such a short lifespan the number one key factor in influencing a short career lifespan for a physio is it, it doesn't have a lot of wiggle room so again I'm going to draw a comparison to to a medical student so a medical student goes through their a couple of years at intern years and then a registrar year, anywhere between three to five years at a hospital. You've gone from intern to a registrar and then you can, there's different options. You can go be a GP, you can go be a specialist, you can retrain to be a surgeon, different multiple career pathways in the medicine field. With physio, you can, you know, from university, you have to decide whether you go into hospital or private practice. And if you go into hospital, you are a senior physio, grade one, two, three, four, but ultimately you're still a physio. And same thing as private practice. When you're in the private practice, you're a clinician, and then you become a senior clinician, and then you're still a clinician at the end of the day. You still have to treat patients to bring revenue in. And there's just a lack of career variation, and there's a lack of career progression as well and hence there's a bit of a ceiling effect with salary with physios one of the things that uh, uh, really struck me with um, uh, learning more about what you're doing is is you kind of you are talking about the things that don't necessarily get taught at university and it's kind of complementing the academic skills and the capabilities that are taught with kind of those um, professional development skills that are in and around the the clinical you know side of things Let's kind of move it into a more uh, kind of contemporary uh, phase that the whole healthcare sector is in at the moment. Mm. How prepared were you three, four, five years ago during your uh, your student phase for concepts around digital health, of which you know a part of it right now is uh, telehealth, as an example? Was that being supported at that time, or are you kind no. of are you and your peers now confronted with a situation where everybody's kind of in the deep end when it comes to uh, telehealth? Yeah. As a profession, physio has always been taught, has always been delivered, has always been um, perceived as a physical contact profession. And, you know, people perceive physio as a physical profession and it is a physical profession. But I think during this time of COVID-19, it really changes the way we think about physio and think about how we deliver telehealth. At university, go back to your question first, Siani. At university, there was zero, absolutely zero percent of what was considered any remote telehealth, e-health, whatever you want to call it, just because um, I think we as humans, most of us are very reactive and none of us really saw this coming and hitting our industry as hard as it has or it is. And we are forced to pivot to telehealth 
and I think it's a really opportunistic time for a lot of clinicians because it offers a lot of flexibility. And I think coming out of COVID-19, telehealth is going to remain a strong competitor in the industry as opposed to what well, competes with face-to-face, you know, whether that's within a business that has multiple services that's been offered um, or, you know, you're going to see a increase in purely online physio delivered service. But I think after this is over, there's going to be a mix and balance of in-person and telehealth consults, which is really exciting. And Yoni, I suppose throw it back, throw the ball back into your court. You're you're seeing a lot more activity on on Core Plus, and with the recent new launch with that telehealth software, it's really exciting for for you guys as well. Yeah, it really is, and I'm just in awe of everybody within our client community who have been able to pivot in some way and you know there's a lot of choices and that's kind of an interesting challenge out there i mean you can do video in so many different ways we're seeing you know a significant minority of our customers that are taking up the telehealth within the core plus platform at this point in time we've had in excess just this month you know we've had in excess of 120,000 minutes worth of telehealth consultations but that makes me then see for example how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of minutes are being done on Zoom, on Skype, mm. on FaceTime, on different types of products that have already been selected broadly. And that's kind of, you know, that's going to be an interesting challenge for uh, digital health going forward uh, because those systems are not integrated. They're um, isolated systems. Yep. They don't have the clinical functionality that needs to be tied in seamlessly with the rest of the uh, the healthcare practice. That's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, for all of healthcare uh, going forward. Yep where um, as you know as when we take our professional hats off and and we're just ourselves you know um, living at home we we work with tools every day that in our social media um, the way that we actually communicate chat and do video with our family and friends and that's so universal and so pervasive that it just seems like a natural thing to reach for when it when it comes to doing video in a professional environment within healthcare but I personally, and I talk a lot about this in the industry, I think I think we have to kind of educate uh, the industry more around some of those uh, clinical risks, some of the privacy risks, and uh, some of the uh, clunkiness that comes about from using systems that are not integrated and not integrated seamlessly. Yeah. What's your thought on it as a physiotherapist? Is it really just, all right, Yanni, we'll get there. Right now, we just want to sort of figure out video. Or do you mm. think there's just a lack of education at this point in time in terms of what is telehealth versus what is video? Definitely the lack of knowledge or the lack of understanding towards privacy acts within Australia and even the world internationally is a, is a huge factor. Because prior to speaking to, including yourself, Yanni, a couple of professionals in the industry, um, I know a lot of people have been using Zoom and I previously, formally, I don't know if it was or wasn't legally compliant. There's a couple of reports that, you know, that's been lingering on social media on how, you know, there's there's a level, there's different hackers that can hack into Zoom and there's and people can just enter your meeting um, just randomly out of nowhere. I think that's a really concerning factor for physio. And I can understand, you know, it's the same as other professions like psychology. You, you wouldn't want someone to listen on in your own confidential conversation with your psychologist. Um, in a more for a physio, let's pivot to the physio aspect. You know, when I do telehealth, I have patients stripping off and, um, you know, showing their range of motion, for example, with their belly. And 
Um, you know, imagine if that patient was a was a higher profile patient, that information or that picture or that video got leaked out and it was used against them in some way or the other. Um, you know, I'm speaking, I suppose, very cyber security focused, but um, a lot of, I think a lot of people don't know the risks involved with using just a simple video conferencing program like Zoom or Google Hangouts. Um, until they know. And I think Core Plus really delivers that confidentiality and that privacy compliant act that I think we all need. But back to your question, Yanni, it's definitely about education to health professionals about, no, Zoom is not okay. Well, you know, I think in the US it is, um, especially uh, not not the free version, but uh, definitely the uh, premium healthcare version of it in the US, as long as it's connected to US systems that are also integrated with the same standard around uh, privacy and uh, healthcare information. Um, so that, ma- that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, this is the challenge for us in Australia is that we have our own standards here. And again, this is something that I, I talk about around the industry. We hear a lot about HIPAA compliance, for example, HIPPA, and that is a standard for uh, the exchange of healthcare information between uh, electronic systems in the United States. That's the standard you've got to meet if you're a US health provider. Now that we're sort of global and technology platforms can be accessed and subscribed to anywhere in the world, there's kind of this um, misinformation that happens with Australian healthcare providers where uh, we see some marketing that says HIPAA compliance and we think it's great, you know, tick, we've met some kind of, you know, healthcare information criteria. Um, But it's a big problem for Australia in the sense that HIPAA doesn't matter to Australian healthcare information. The standards we have here are different. Uh, They're referred to Mm. as HL7. They're referred to as uh, FIRE and CDA. And they they all are uh, linked back to uh, standards that are built into the My Health Record, as well as um, secure messaging communication standards for different clinical systems in terms of how they share information. So those are the standards that really need to get more airtime um, in terms of compliance for uh, the exchange of healthcare information. And there's some really good stuff on the Australian Digital Healthcare Agency's website around that for health practitioners. And I think the peak bodies are slowly catching up, you know, with that as well. And the other thing I'd I'd sort of add to it as well is that even if you have, you know, one system that meets that standard and has that compliance, it's also the systems that integrate with it. Uh, that actually interoperate with it, that need to have that end-to-end compliance as well. Otherwise, you've got one piece of software that's compliant, but the issue around um, HL7 and FIRE and CDA and any kind of healthcare standard is the exchange of healthcare information between different electronic systems. And so when we think about video, as an example, this is why products like um, uh, Skype and Hangouts and Zoom and FaceTime and WhatsApp and what have you they're not really going to fit the purpose in the long run because they're secure. There's no problem with security, I think, generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, IT is secure, but they're isolated and they don't conform to that healthcare communication standard. So I think that's an important part. And I think it's going to be, I'm I'm kind of observing what's happening. I think in in mental health, it's a lot easier to um, meet that standard. But with the physical therapies, it's going to be interesting how that uh, kind of evolves. You provide some telehealth services right so any guidance that you might offer other physiotherapists out there how um not necessarily the um naming the ingredients but in terms of your workflows what what's that like you've already mentioned what it's like to have somebody you know take off their top and show you their range of motion uh for example yeah um so do you have do you have any recommendations of um the right way to set up for the teleconsult or what to do during and after 
I think the biggest take home or the biggest tip that I would give to telehealth is actually um, it, it's, it can be quite tricky establishing rapport um, and maintaining a, a sense of respect because there's often lag. There's often um, you know you can't exp- you can't read their facial expressions, and I'm gonna link it back to communication skills and. You know, face-to-face, yes, I, I primarily focus on face-to-face communication, but using your webcam communication is a form of communication. So I think in, you know, whether it's a teleconsult or even a live stream like this or a Zoom meeting, I try to exaggerate my um, facial expressions more than I would usually. People can misinterpret you when you're online, and I think it's still important to make the other party feel welcome and to feel comfortable around you. I'm just going to offer my one cent here with telehealth. I've only done a couple of meetings. That's what I'm expecting. Most people will go through. They kind of start dabble in it, start to build the confidence and uh, get into it. And then, you know, some of those more nuanced aspects of delivering telehealth will come into it. Um, But I love your analogy around being conscious of your expression through, you know, through the medium. Uh, because, you know, from a communication standpoint, being face-to-face is the best, right? It's like we yeah. we pick up all those unspoken communication um, cues that happen, you know, the body language, the posture. Um, there's a certain vibe that happens when we're close to each other. It's just such yeah. a rich communication experience. But then we put a monitor in between us and the distance associated with geography you know, video is probably the next best thing if you're going to actually try and yeah. do things remotely. Uh, there may be some health providers out there doing instant messaging uh, or voice exclusively, and, and they might beg to differ, and I'd love to talk to them. Uh, but video, mm-hmm. at least we can see each other. We can we can see our animation, our expression. So I'd, I'd probably encourage people to think about having a little bit more thought in that, and I think that's, that's um, a great opportunity for um, the communication experience because you're actually, you know, if you think about it from the point of view of, your lighting, your seating, yeah. your um, your backdrop, you know, the type of image that you're projecting um, through that medium. And then how to actually establish connection, you know, to sort of pass through the technology and really get that engagement with the other person, which really goes a long way towards the rapport, I think, that you're, you're describing yeah. there as well. Absolutely. And I think just to build on that, um, when you're having a physical contact and you're having a physical meeting, there's um, you have essentially five senses, right? You have your sight, you have your smell, um, you have your hearing, you have a kinesthetic. Um, whereas when you're in a video console or a video meeting, you only have sound and sight. You know, you can't smell the other person's scent. Um, you can't taste the, um, the environment or the clinic you're in. Um, and you can't shake someone's hand or you can't actually you know feel someone's knee on what it's doing and I think that really bundles back and I like to project it into the future in terms of how will telehealth evolve and I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well it's you know in the future would we all be wearing these VR headsets right you put them on right and we and you actually have water splashing at you or you have a sense of sound you have a sense of smell it will be projecting perfume out of these and that's how you conduct and you can actually see the person that you're interacting with there and you can actually touch them do you think that's the future of not only healthcare but the world right i think definitely um within the digital health conceptual framework there's definitely a placeholder for gamification 
and um, virtualized and augmented realities. But will it be universal? I don't know. Um, but I definitely think when it comes to clinical tools, that seems to be where most of the advances are going at the moment. You know, in burn victims, for example, to actually uh, mm. simulate a healthy arm, let's say your arm is, is burnt, to actually um, help the patient actually see a healthy arm. I've seen in rehabilitation virtualized simulations where robot arms are attached to physically to individuals and, um, and then they walk through a virtual space and perform certain tasks and actions. Uh, we seem to be hitting some optimized limits in terms of what's called in the tech sector Moore's law, which is the acceleration of um, the improvements in uh, the ability for a uh, silicon chip to actually process more at a more efficient rate. So in other words, smaller, but faster. Um, yeah. So I think as we kind of, you know, have more computing resources and we sort of break through some of the other fields that we're going into now with quantum computing, breaking away from that kind of binary digital model that we've had in computing up till date, we're going to move into a, this exponential phase where the tech no longer is uh, necessarily a constraint, but it's more about what do we want to do with it and how quickly can that thing be developed and built. However fast we are at the leading edge, at the end of the day, we've still got a whole healthcare industry that needs to come to terms with it. So I don't expect it's going to be a yeah. rapid change. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's kind of something where the health tech and the culture or the people need to move as one and kind of develop together. Yeah. And so I think we're going to go at human pace, not necessarily at um, technology pace. Machine pace, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we need, yeah. it's one thing to say, hey, you can do this amazing stuff with um, VR or augmented reality or AI. But mm. if practitioners aren't using it, uh, it's, you know, it's the sound of one There's hand no. clapping. Is that something that happens in the industry? Is there sort of a bit of R&D? Not, not so much in the clinical discoveries, but perhaps in the way that in the modalities and how we actually can deliver healthcare. Yeah, I think there's a there's a group in America, and I think they're an Israeli American group um, that actually does augmented reality for physical therapy rehabilitation. Don't know too much about it, but uh, what I understand is they put on a headset and it helps them complete their rehab exercises from a gamification point of view. I think it's innovative. I think it's um, progressive, but again, you need people. <laughs> you need patients to take up on it and you need clinicians to deliver it. So, and if they're not ready, just like you said, they're, they're not ready. So you know, we might have this uh, exact same conversation in 15 years and dig this file up. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe what will be happening is, um, you know, you'll be treating me, but uh, I'll have like some kind of uh, robot here that's actually moving its robotic hands over yeah. a particular part of my body while you're on the other side actually doing it, you know? And, uh, yeah. and so we, yeah we overcome the uh, tyranny of distance there. That's another subset of the digital health idea. There's, um, there's a concept called activated carers. And I, I actually think that's a great opportunity for physio to actually learn how to actually bring family members into the consultation online. Um, so mm. for example, if you needed me to pinpoint in my back where I'm experiencing pain, rather than me turning yeah. around and kind of trying to point to it, you know, I might get, you know, one of my family members to come in and you could say, all right, press here, press there, you know, so it's almost like you've got a helper. You, you sort of got this, uh, mm -hmm. you know, paraprofessional <laughs> who's yep. uh, like one of the family <laughs> members. Is that, is that crazy talk or is that a, is that a possibility? No, 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 no. I've seen, I've seen my fair few elderly couples or um, just couples in general more so, um, you know, you get a couple of mums and sons who, who come in um, together 
and they they asking, can I do the same thing that you're doing at home? And I was just like, yep, absolutely. Let me teach you. So I think the power of family members is uh, really uh, really crucial and it can be really helpful. But um, I, I think, Yanni, we, we can't give any unsolicited advice with um, couples. If they end up uh, separating because we've given them physical therapies advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you definitely... don't treat your you don't teach anything. You don't teach your loved ones, or you don't treat your loved ones. Right? <laughs> That's my rule. <laughs> uh, look, I, maybe in some cases it'll improve their relationship because there's uh, yeah. you know in, the promotion of touch and engagement and connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the time we've got left, let's talk about breaking through Kennedy in yeah. 2020. So, what's the vision? Why are you doing this? Tell us more. So Breakthrough Conference Series started last year um, and last year we had a really successful event. So last year was Breakthrough 19 and the theme last year was targeted towards more early career professionals and students for them to break through into the next phase of career, whether that's from university to a full-time job um, or a early career to transition or breakthrough into a mature practitioner. It's really fitting that breakthrough is the theme again this year because we are in a national and international crisis. Um, And as we spend the last 35 minutes talking about that COVID-19 was a huge barrier on our profession in healthcare, Um, whether that's from a treating patient's clinical point of view or from a learning point of view. And I think during this time of, you know, crisis and during this time of struggle for, for a lot of people in our healthcare system or in our healthcare industry, I think it's really important to keep up the continual professional development um, in our profession. And that's what inspired me is to create Breakthrough 2020. The main thing is it is going to be an event run virtually because it's in the comfort of your own home. We can bring speakers easier. Logistically, it's easier to set up um, and there's less cost involved as well. And I think that's where the future of healthcare education or education in general is going to go as well. Uh, You know, it it is Sports Medicine Virtual Conference. It has three aims. One is to bring people together two is to educate people and three it's to it's to project what is possible in the future i love it so you know telehealth telly anything i think is um one of the subtexts uh with it so i think cpd online i had a great chat recently with um a fellow by the name of will egan from osmed who um, has a some tools for online cpd um in broadly in the, in the healthcare sector as well. That's great innovation, Kennedy, and I really commend you on that. So yeah. you're looking at allied health and sports medicine. So it's a virtual conference and that's coming up uh, on May the 22nd. Is that right? Yeah. So Friday, the um, 22nd of May, looking forward to it. So let's talk a little bit about the CPD side of it. So you're sort of talking about that ongoing professional development. Are there some points available to the attendees? And tell us more about that idea. How how are people developing themselves with the Breakthrough 2020? Yeah. So the whole theme of the conference is focused on sports medicine. So um, whether that's from a physio background, from an exercise physiologist background, or from a podiatry, osteo, chiro, um, even, even orthopedic whether that's medical students or, you know, extending from GPs to orthopedic surgeons, um, there is something for everybody in there. We're going to talk about all the latest research and clinical learning on how to treat 
assess and clinically manage, whether that's from a non-conservative, non-surgical point of view, as well as a surgical point of view. So we have um, recognised professionals from all over the Australia and even um, a speaker from America. We've got distal lower limb, so foot and ankle, we've got knee, we've got hip and we've got shoulder. So we're completely covering everything. Again, as I said, a little bit in it for everybody so that everybody can learn and take some research and clinical learning back to their clinical practice so that when we come out of this, um, we, we become stronger and we become better equipped clinicians. You've assembled quite a few uh, clinicians in the process as well. So um, that's going to be it's going to be a really interesting uh, format and hopefully a high degree of engagement there from uh, the people who are participating in it. What are you expecting? In terms of expectations, um, we have we currently have 12 speakers lined up, including our panellists. Um, we're expecting about 400 attendees from all over the world. Um, we've had a couple of sign-ups from America, so North America, a couple from the UK, a couple from Ireland, but uh, mainly in Australia. It'll be a, a live program. Uh, it'll be recorded as well for viewing and educational purposes for a year after as well. So, and we're, we're really excited. I think this is going to shape how the future of delivery of learning is going to look like. I think it will. I think what's happened here is everyone uh, who wasn't doing it beforehand has had a crash course in what it's like to have remote teams because the concept of the workplace now has extended to people's homes, you know, health practitioners' homes. Mm. With that comes positives and negatives. You know, there are some side effects with, with isolation. There may be some positives with uh, work-life balance. I think the, the idea of continuing to uh, be healthcare practitioners doesn't matter where we are and being able to actually access support, access the continuous professional development, being able to deliver healthcare services uh, in person as well as online, it's a really big period of change for us. But I think once we've kind of, you know, tasted it and experienced it, to some extent, mm. we move forward with it. We don't yeah. we don't just sort of get to the other side of COVID-19 and and then just sort of say, great, well, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. But, you know, it may not be as, as much. It might be less, but at least it'll be um, sort of included in some way. And that might open up some new opportunities for online healthcare augmentation with the traditional clinical model. One of the questions I like to ask guests on the show is, you know, how do you see life uh, as a physio in five years' time? You know, how do you how do you see the reimagination of healthcare? You know, going forward. Yeah, I've thought about the idea you've brought up before. You know, it was about we're in a consult here, so I'm the physio, you're the patient, and you get a shirt. Well, you get a specially designed shirt that actually um, stick to your body, and you know that shirt can instantly diagnose and it can instantly treat just the command of my keyboard, um, whether that's pressing somewhere on, on the, you know, on the body or sensing that a particular muscle group is atrophied. So in our term, um, it's, it's not, it's not as well developed. You know, if the shirt can detect my shoulder on my left is less, there's less muscle bulk on the center, uh, on the muscle on my right, and there's pain on my left shoulder, that actually gives me instant feedback in terms of, Oh, yeah, Yanni's left shoulder is not as strong. That's why he has a painful shoulder. And we'll then go through a couple of tests um, that I can, you know, there are already technologies out there that measure range of motion through an infrared camera. Um, and then, you know, you look at 
the quality of your range of motion on the shoulder and you can prescribe exercise accordingly. And I think it will be a more time efficient because a lot of things uh, in that process is automated and it will be a, a cheaper, from a financial revenue point of view, a cheaper investment as well. Um, just because, again, we're not taking both of our time up as much and you've got automation to replace that. So I'd like to see the future of physio being a continuation and a progression of from telehealth. Um, whether, you know, from now what we're doing is we're still asking patients to bend forward. Um, we're still looking at the quality of movement just by eyeballing. But I think with some cooperation or with some injection of some really cool technology, we can really combine those things together and make it a seamless transition into uh, telehealth. That's what I think. I love it. I love it. It's a great It's a great vision. Um, you should yeah. look into that, mate. I think it's... Mm. Uh, I don't think there's technical barriers in actually being able to achieve that. I think there's a lot of established um, technology and science that could be assembled around that yeah. uh, to do it uh, in terms of a digital health mm. innovation. Um, that's great. And yeah, yeah I, 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 I like that. I like that vision. It kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, when we look at digital health as an idea, it is about how does the healthcare fit into the lives, the schedules, goals, and aspirations of uh, an individual. In a way, you could kind of see this evolution where the center of healthcare is wherever the patient is or the client, yeah. depending on how you refer to them. And the role of the health practitioner in, you know, going forward may be uh, enhanced to actually be like a coach and a mentor or a guide who is um, working on establishing, you know, the goals of that individual, educating, informing, treating and providing physical therapy, as well as actually supporting that when the practitioner is not able to physically be there. And when mm. you think about it, that's actually the majority of time, you know, because I'm pretty sure your your patients don't spend 24-7 with you. Nice. You'd be over-servicing, I think. You know, that's probably going to compromise yeah. your business model there a little bit. Um, yeah. So, you know, so that means that um, the majority of the time they're not with you physically. So being able to actually extend digital health and we're seeing some examples, you know, we've got uh, exercise prescriptions now, uh, mm. you know, with um, uh, with PhysiTrack, Rehab Guru. But it's one thing to show sort of, you know, video uh, prescriptions or um, provide support. It's another thing to actually do diagnostic. It's another thing to yeah. actually help with empowering the individual to do some of that physical work themselves as well. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think in a way we may only be limited by our minds around whether yeah. those things are achievable or not. So it needs some innovators, Kennedy. So um, I reckon you should go for it, mate, because uh, that sounds like a really interesting idea and you could test your hypothesis and put together some proof of concepts, you know, test and measure and see only how if it you goes. Be my, <laughs> only if you be my guinea pig, though. I mean, I'll send you that T-shirt. You'll be my first uh, customer. Any T-shirt that's going to be kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> holding it all in. I'm, I'm into that idea. I'm into that idea. I think that'd be an awesome, awesome technology. I think that'd be one of my goals actually achieved in terms of my healthcare. So uh, I'm all in on that one. <laughs> Kennedy, um, thank you so much for making the time and um, having a chat with me today and exploring who you are, what you've been doing, the communication experience, the health experience, and moving into uh, the online professional development event for Allied and Sports Medicine which is fantastic on uh, May the 22nd. Um, that's great. I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to it. It's a great innovation. So congratulations to you. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks, Kennedy. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.